So are you guys, uh, you'd like, if somebody gives you the choice, we're going to be in our series, Sighted, once again. This is the last uh, one in this series. We're actually going to be in the book of Revelation, so therefore uh, we're kind of at the end of the book. So we'll be, this will be the last one in the series. Um, are you the kind of people that want to hear the good news first or the bad news first? If somebody gives you the option, you're going to vote, actually, okay? If somebody gives you the option to say, I've got good news and I've got bad news, if you are a bad news first person, raise your hand. You want the bad news first, okay? This, that's interesting, okay? So everybody likes the bad news first because you want to on a high note, right? Yeah, I feel you, okay? If you are uh, the opposite and you want to hear the good news first, raise your hand. Okay, there's three of you. That's okay. Yeah, amen to that. All right, good news first. Okay, so, um, well, that's good because that goes along with today's message. You just completely ruined my whole uh, thing that I was going to bring to you, so... Um, <laughs> I love Simple Church. It just messes up every single message. But I try, I have these grand ideas, you know, and I'm like, man, this is going to just, this is going to rock the world, you know, and then I go, ah, never mind, I'll do something else. Um, <laughs> we've been in this series called Sighted, right? And uh, I, I was asked recently if you could lose any one of your senses, or if you had to lose one of your senses, which one would that be? And I really believe that the last one I would choose to lose would be my sight. I feel like when you lose your sight, it kind of throws everything off. You can't see where you are or where you're going, and, and you know everything you have to depend on your other senses for it to back up the fact that you don't have your sight. So I believe that sight would probably be one of the last ones I'd choose to give up if I had to give up one of my senses. And uh, I don't, has anybody ever had an eye injury? Okay, there's, there's two more. Okay, good. So my illustrations today are going swimmingly. Let me go ahead and tell you. Uh, everybody is really focused on my illustrations. Now, I, I actually had one myself. Um, my dad was there uh, when I had an eye injury. Um, I, uh, I was riding my go-kart. Uh, some of you know uh, where uh, Western Sizzlin is in Oxford, and I was actually, this was before Western Sizzlin was ever, ever there, and it was just an empty parking lot. Well, I had just moved from Rainbow City, and in Rainbow City, I had a place to ride my go-kart. It was a really ugly orange go-kart that my dad had bought, from somebody somewhere, I think in Athens, as a matter of fact, is where we got it from. It was a really ugly go-kart, but I had a go-kart, so thank you, Dad. Uh, but anyway, so I had a place to ride it in, in Rainbow City, but when I got here, I didn't really have a place to ride it. So Dad would take me to random parking lots, and I would be able to ride my go-kart. Well, this one was right down the road from us and where we were living at the time, and, and, and so uh, it had to make a lot of tight turns because I was riding in a parking lot. And one of the turns I made was just too tight, and I actually flipped the go-kart. Uh, now, this is the old school go-karts. This is not the pretty nice kind that have the roll cage on them and all that kind of stuff like you young uh, spoiled brats have now. This is like a real go-kart that was just like a couple of rails and an engine attached to it. And you just held on and hoped that you didn't die, you know. So it was that kind of go-kart. And, and so I flipped it and no, but I did have a helmet on. There was no roll bars or anything, but I didn't have a helmet on, which was something that my parents insisted that I do. Thank you, Mom and Dad, for that. But I wanted a cool helmet. And the cool helmet I had was the kind that had the visor on it. The visor that snaps on right here. So I was fully decked out. Why are y'all laughing already? All I said was I had a visor on. My other. <laughs> um, so, uh, so anyway, so I had the cool snap-on visor right here. So I looked like, you know, BMX bandits or whatever. And I had the snap-on like visor thing. And I even went so far as to have the goggles on, right? I had the goggles with the, you know, the, the, the strap that goes on the outside of the helmet. So I was really looking fly in the fourth grade, you know, riding my go-kart. And... Uh, uh, of course, it was black, by the way. You know, my favorite color is black. So my helmet was black, goggles were black, all that kind of stuff. 
Well, when I flipped the go-kart, that cool snap-on visor that went right here, it actually, I landed on it, and it came, it snapped off because it snapped on. It also snapped off. It snapped off and went inside my, my goggles and actually cut the very top of my eyelid. And when I say it cut my eyelid, I don't mean like, oh, it's just a little scratch. I mean, it cut my eyelid. Because I, I got up, I was like, oh, I feel fine. It's good. Hey, it's all right. No big deal. I'll just get Dad to flip the go-kart back over, and we'll be, we'll be going back at this thing. So um, I actually, I get up, and I'm starting to walk towards Dad, and I take my goggles off. I take my helmet off, and I'm like, you know, I kind of look like one of those, uh, like from the right stuff or something, like walking away from the fiery crash, you know, and he's like throwing his stuff off, you know. And, um, and I, I start to notice as I get closer to Dad, Dad's red. I'm not sure why Dad's red, but he's red, and then everything is red. So apparently I have blood trickling in my eye and made everything look red. That is a creepy, creepy thing. If you've ever had that happen, blood in your eye where everything looks red, that is extremely creepy. So, so I'm feeling okay. I'm like, okay, there's blood in my eye. That's not a good sign, but I'm okay. I feel okay. There's nothing wrong, right? So, so I go up to Dad, and, and, and Dad, my dad, is, he's a very cool person, very calm, very collected, a little bit different than my mom. Uh, he, he's very calm, and, uh, and he looks at me, he goes, and he grabs me by the head, you know, and, and uh, he, you know, he's got to do that thing that, that all people do as they're older, they go, you know, so he grabs me by the head, and he does this, and he makes, makes an all-too-familiar sound that I've heard him make before, and many times he goes, hmm, hmm, so my eyelid's cut, everything's red, and my dad looks at me, he goes, hmm, you know. And uh, he said, well, I think we need to wrap this up and get on back to the, the house. And I'm like, okay, well, that's not good. So, so we, we load up the go-kart in the back of the, the Toyota Starlet, and, and we take it back, and, and we're on the way back. And I don't remember, maybe I'm holding something on it to try to keep it from bleeding and all this kind of stuff. But, but my dad, he says, well, we'll look at it again when we get home. We look at it and get home. He says, son, I think you need to have stitches. Now, I don't know about you. But for me, when somebody says, hey, Kenny, I think you need stitches in your eyeball, I go, no, I don't want that. I hadn't cried up until this point, but my dad said I needed stitches in my, um, in my eye. I was like, <laughs> I don't want stitches in my eye. Uh, well, we got home, and we looked at it some more, and he, he, he said, well, maybe we can get by without stitches in your eye. And um, We actually, we did not end up having to go to the hospital. That's the way we did it back in the old days. We didn't actually go to the hospital for everything. Uh, we put a cold rag on it, and we just hoped that it didn't fall off. You know, that's kind of what we did. And, um, and I did heal. I still have my eyelid. Um, I, you know, when I close my eyes now, I can't see, see stars or daylight through it, so that's good. My eyelid's still attached. Everything's good. But it really was. It was almost to the point where my eyelid was, had a hole in it. That's how much it was cut. It was cut really, really deep. Um, but good news is I'm good today. Everything's good. I didn't have to go to the hospital, and I still have my eye. So um, that's a good, so I gave you the, the bad news first, good news at the end, right? So I'm good. Um, just recently, in the past couple of days, I've been working at my house, and um, I, I, didn't, I didn't realize it until I was about to come up here, but um, I, I, if you've ever been working above you, you know the junk just falls in your eyes. And I've actually had, I've been trying to be good, and once again, had goggles on. I got these little safety glasses I've been wearing or whatever. But when you're cutting, like with a, like with a, uh, a circular saw above your head, there's nothing you can do. Stuff's going to fall in your eyes. It's just, and, and that is a terrible feeling. In the past couple of days, I've been dealing with that, and I actually have my eye drops um, in my pocket. As a matter of fact, I realized that today when I was about to get up here, um, which these things are expensive, by the way. Thank goodness for the Walmart brand. 
up and up here. So um, redness relief. So, but I've been putting these in regularly because, man, I have just, at, at the end of the day and, and the next morning when I wake up, I'm pulling these boulders out of the corner of my eyes, you know, where I got all this stuff just accumulated in there. But like yesterday, it was just driving me nuts, the fact that I just was blinking all the time because I had all this stuff in my eyes. And that is a very, very annoying thing. So I say all that to say that uh, eye injuries are bad. It's difficult when you can't see. If I had the choice that, that, that losing my sight would be the last thing that I would choose if I had to, to lose one of my senses. Now, we've been in this series called Sighted, and today we're going to talk about a church that is actually blind, okay? Um, we've been talking about individual people that have been blind in this series, and today we're going to talk about a whole church that is blind. This church is called Laodicea. There are churches in Revelation that are addressed at the very beginning of Revelation. These churches are in Asia Minor, and, and these churches have different things going on. And God brings things to light about these churches. And these churches, actually, if you look at them, they're seeing the same things that are going on in churches today. There are a lot of similarities between some of these churches and churches that you see everywhere today. So that's the reason I believe that they're in there, is to bring awareness to us. In this particular church, Laodicea, people tend to focus on the fact that God said that they are lukewarm, right? And everybody knows that God said they're lukewarm, and what? He spewed them out of his mouth. It made, them, made him vomit the way that, the way that they were. And, and basically, all these other churches that you see leading up to Laodicea, they actually have some redeeming factor about them. There is something good inside the church, and it's like God saying, I, look, I see your good deeds, I see the things you got going on, but you need to correct this, right? Well, Laodicea is not like that at all. There's like nothing good that he sees in Laodicea. And therefore, we can, we can extrapolate from that that this is a church, basically uh, a, a false church, a church that, that is not of God, a church that does not have believers in it. They think that they're believers, but they are blind to the fact that they are not believers, and I'm giving you the bad news first because there is good news at the end, okay? Um, this, this is not a message intended to say that, 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 that you indeed uh, are bad, that you are awful or anything like that. That's not what this is about. This is about showing you that sometimes we have blinders on and we don't see correctly and sometimes that, that we have to have our eyes open and we have to see the goodness of God for what it really is. And that's what this message is all about. The church of Laodicea is indeed blind. There's some things you need to know about Laodicea. Um, the first thing is that, um, and, this is, and many of you have heard this before, so uh, just bear with me if you have, but, but they're, they're a crossroads town, so they're, they're in the middle of a crossroads, so they're, they're very busy, okay? But one of the things that, because they're very busy and they're full of growth, because this is actually one of the things about Laodicea is the fact that they're, they're a wealthy town. Uh, one of the things that they pride themselves on is the fact that they are, are, are bankers, that, that they handle money well. And, and, and as a matter of fact, so much so, they're so wealthy um, that, that when the, the earthquake of A.D. 60 happened, they actually didn't require any money from Rome whatsoever. They rebuilt themselves because they were indeed wealthy. Uh, so they were known as kind of like a banking town. They were a crossroads town. And as they grew and as they expanded like any other town, I don't know if you know this, if you're, uh, you know, if you read some civil engineering in your spare time, you know that as a town grows, one of the things that you have to really consider are the power supply and the water supply, right? Anytime a town grows, that's one of the things you have to be really, uh, the town engineers have to be really cognizant of is, is the fact that there's got to be water and there's got to be power. Well, obviously there was no power back then, so, you know, aside from candlelight, um, so, so they had to be focused on water. And as the town grew, they needed more water. And, and the, the lakes nearby would either dry up or they were impure and they couldn't really use the lakes nearby, so they had to import their water. 
So they built these really nice, really elaborate aqueducts that would bring water down from the, from the mountains and bring them into the city. They would actually have these huge aqueducts that were underground so the enemy couldn't contaminate them, right? Uh, that was one of the things they did is they liked to hide their water supply so the enemy couldn't contaminate their water supply because that would be one way to destroy the town would be to contaminate the water supply. Well, the, the water would come down through these huge aqueducts and be stored in towers, just like you see today. There's a lot of places where you see towers in the middle of a city, and then it would be fed out through these, uh, the, these, these pipes that would go out to the rest of the city, these terracotta pipes. And the, actually, the pipes are actually they're still there today, and you can even see evidence of them today. Uh, well, one of the things about the water that came down and the water that was distributed out through the city is they were full of impurities. They were full of these minerals, calcification, uh, calcium carbonate that just basically would, would clog the pipes because it would accumulate on the inside of the pipes. And, and, and all of these impurities that were inside the pipes obviously went out to the people, and the water there was known to be very bitter. And it was almost to the point, really, literally, where it made you sick to drink the water. So you can see where I'm going with this, right? So these people, they're, 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 they're bankers, they're wealthy, um, they have they rebuilt themselves. As a matter of fact, after the, the earthquake of eighty sixty, and and, and they um, they're this crossroads town, and they got these aqueducts, these huge aqueducts that they built. The other thing that they're really well known for um, is the fact that they have a medical school. Laodicea is really known for their medical school, and in this particular medical school, one of the things that they're really known for is this salve that they created to treat eye conditions. That's one of the things. So God uses all of these things that. It's true about the town of Laodicea to speak to the people at Laodicea. The other thing that they're known for is the fact that they are really known for their wool. Uh, their wool was a black, shiny, soft, very soft wool that was used in clothing and also in carpet. So they were known for all of these things, and God uses all of these things to speak to the people in Laodicea, and we're going to see that in just a second. The church in Laodicea is a false church. It's not a real church. The people there are blind. There are churches today that are false churches. There are churches this morning that people will go to on a Sunday morning. They got up early, they dressed up, and they go to church, and they're blind, and they don't see the fact that they're in a place where everybody in the whole place is lost. Everybody in the entire congregation, they're singing, God, singing songs to a God that is not the one true God of the Bible. They're singing songs to a God they have invented in their own minds. And these churches are all over the world. And these churches are all over this country. And there are people that got up early this morning to go to these churches. And they're blind. And they're blind to the fact that they think that they've got it all made. They think that they've got everything that they possibly could need. They, they're wealthy. They're rich. They've got everything they could possibly need. They don't need anything else. They are deceiving themselves. It's the worst possible condition you can be in. The worst possible condition you can be in. A church full of blind people. That's kind of what I'm, the subtitle of this message is. In Revelation chapter 3, we read this about the church of Laodicea in the beginning of verse 14. It says, Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is a message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. Now, it says the amen. So I, I want to clarify kind of what that means when we say amen. Um, you know, that there are times when you read in, in biblical terms that will say verily, verily, right? 
and say basically that this is going to be true, right? Well, the amen is basically saying, let it be true. Jesus Christ is the amen to God's promise, if you will. So it's like, amen, let this, let this be shown that this is true. Let it be so, if you will. Or, or if you were Scotty on the Enterprise, you would say, make it so, right? Like, you just, like, it's a few people that are over the age of 40 know what I'm talking about, right? So, so it's, it's basically saying, it is so. Recognize that it is so. Let it be so. So Jesus Christ is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of, of God's new creation. I know all the things that you do. I think that that's key, right? The very first thing he says is God says, written in red, right? So this is God speaking to us. God speaking to this church. I know all the things that you do. One of the things that God is trying to say here, he's not blind. We may be blind, and we may be blind to what we are doing and how we are and all of those kinds of things. God is not blind. I see clearly is what God is saying here to the church of Laodicea. Just like he said to the other churches, I see the good that you do and I see the bad that you do. Here he's saying to the church of Laodicea, I see exactly what you do. I see who you are. And you know what? When we look at that, sometimes we, we almost look at that as like an overbearing parent. It's like, oh, I, I saw what you did. You can't hide from me. I knew that you snuck out last night. I knew that you did this. I knew that you did that. But that's not the way that it is with God. That's not at all the way that it is with God. As a matter of fact, when he says, I see all that you do, I know all the things that you do, that is the most special gift that you could possibly have. Imagine a God that you could hide from. Imagine a God where you could go in secret and get away from. Imagine a God where you could say, you know what, if I go to this place, if I do this thing, then God will not see me and God will not know. Oh, what a wretched world we would live in if that were the case. What a terrible place it would be if there was a place we could go and we could hide from God. It is actually the greatest gift and the greatest blessing, the fact that God sees everything that we do. Because God also tells us this, is when you're in your lowest place, when you are your most worst place that you could possibly be in, your ter most terrible sinful condition that you could ever, ever be in, at that particular moment, Christ died for you. Because he can see you, because he knows who you are, that means he recognizes the fact that you're in desperate need of a Savior. And because he's a saving God, he sends his son, Jesus, in your place. It is so good that he is an all-seeing God, that he is not blind to anything, that he does not miss anything, that he does not overlook anything. It is a good thing that we stand in judgment of God. It is not a bad thing. Too, too often people look at it as a bad thing. I'm telling you right now, the fact that God can see everything is a good thing. It is a great thing. And God says to the church of Laodicea, he says, I know all the things that you do. You are neither hot nor cold. I don't want to go into a whole dissertation on what it means to be hot or cold. I don't want to extrapolate from that and go, this is what it means to be hot or cold. This, you know, to be hot means to be on fire for God, or to be cold means that you're not, and, and all this kind of stuff. I'm not going there. Because the basic message is this, is that God says that, that you're, you're worshiping somebody else, that you're not a true church, that you're not really believers that you're not where you need to be, that you're not in the place that you need to be, that, that you're serving no purpose in what you're doing, even though the, you think that you are. And he says that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. Here it is. I mean, like, look at this. This is God speaking to a group of people, and he says, I wish. 
How powerful are those words? The fact that God would look at you in your wretched condition and, and look at you in, in the place that you are and say, man, I wish. I just wish that you would listen. I wish that you would understand. I wish that you would see. I, I, I wish that you wouldn't turn a blind eye to this. I wish that you would see clearly. He says, I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. These people at Laodicea understood what it mean, meant to be hot or cold, neither hot nor cold, to be lukewarm. Because every single time that they got water, it was not only was it bitter, but it was always lukewarm. It would come out of the mountains, and maybe it was cold when it first came out of the mountains, but by the time it got all the way down to the city, it, it, was, not, it was not warm. It was just kind of lukewarm. He says, he says, I will spit you out of my mouth. I think that we look at that sometimes, and I, I, I've, I've heard so many preachers preach this, that all, you know, once again, like the all-seeing God, the all-seeing eye thing, almost like on the dollar bill that so many people want to just like talk about God and that thing you can't, you can't hide from God. He knows what you do, and he's chastising you. And we talked about how that's a good thing, but I, I think also... It's a good thing that he, he is not okay with where we are. It's a good thing that, that he rejects us. It's a good thing that he pushes us away, that we recognize that we're not in right standing with God because the worst thing we can do, the worst possible thing that we can do is think that we're in good standing with God and not see that God is repulsed by the things that we do and we just think everything's okay. That's the worst possible scenario. We have to understand that the things that we do in rebellion of God, God is repulsed by. It makes him sick. It, it, it pushes him away. And sometimes it, it quenches the Holy Spirit. Then when we do things in rebellion against God, that it actually it drives God crazy. And it's not okay. God's trying to show us it's not okay. It's not all right. I want you to know so desperately that it's not all right. So much so that the God of the universe is repelled by it. That's how bad it is. But that's a good thing. That's such a good thing. Because that means that there's something that needs to be rectified. There's a score that needs to be settled. There's something that has to be done so that God is not repulsed by us. There has to be something that stands in the way of God rejecting us so that we can come close to us because God tells us it is not his will that any should perish but all come to repentance. It's his desire that we all have a relationship with him. He even said just a few verses ago that I wish, I wish that means that he wants that relationship with us. So the fact that we recognize the things that we do repels God is actually a good thing. It's actually a great thing. You look at that and you think, man, I can't really possibly see how vomiting can be a good thing. Try drinking bleach. You'll see how vomiting can be a good thing. Am I right? But that's what so many people do in their lives. They're constantly drinking bleach into their life, expecting good things to come out, expecting to live healthy, fruitful lives, expecting everything to go well when we're drinking bleach every day. And, and God's saying, man, it's not good for you. That's why I designed your body in such a way that it would expel things that are killing you. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. 
This is, this is what they say. God goes on to tell them. He says, I, I'll, I, I will spit you out of my mouth. Then he starts talking about you, talking about the church. You should hear this if this is you. You should hear this if you're a Christian, you're a Christ follower, and, and you hear this, and it may awaken you to the fact that you are not a true Christ follower. He says, you say, talking to the church of Laodicea, you say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. That is the worst possible place to be in. They think that because they are wealthy, because this is a, a banking town and they got great wool that they can export, they got medicines because they got a cool medical school going on, they're able to rebuild themselves after the great earthquake and all of these things. All these things are contributing to the fact that it's clouding their vision. You know what happens is that when we have too much, we often forget about God. We often forget about God. Because let me tell you something. If you want to see people that love Jesus, you have to get away from a place where people got everything they need. You have to go to a place like Haiti where they got nothing, you know? Well, they, they walk back and forth to the place that they're going. And where, 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 I mean, like I've told you this before, I was sitting across from a, uh, an interpreter that was with our group, and he looks at me and says, I, I really want to be a missionary to go to Africa. He says, because I have so much, I feel like I need to go there, and I need to give what I have, and, and I'm so blessed, and I'm so rich in what I have, I need to go there, and I need to be a missionary in Africa. And this was a guy that had worn the same shirt for seven days. And he talks about how rich and how blessed he really is. This great blessing that we think that we have in this, in this country, yes, it is great that we don't have to wonder every day where we're going to get our food from or if we're going to have shelter over our heads and all that kind of stuff. If we are not careful, that can blind us from our desperate need for God. And that is exactly what's going on with the church at Laodicea because they have so much, they see so little. And they, they forget the fact that, you know, what I really need, what really makes me rich is a relationship with God. So here we see the people, they're, they're saying, I am rich, I have everything I need, I don't need a thing. For them, God is just the cherry on top. For, for them, God is just, just the whipped cream on top to their Sunday. So they say, you know what, I just need God a little extra frosting on top of what I've already got. I've got everything that I need. He's just a little extra. And God is saying to them, I am everything you need. You don't recognize the fact that all you have right now is nothing. I am everything that you need. And you don't rich, realize that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. They're looking around at themselves saying, we're not poor. We were able to rebuild ourselves. We got plenty of money. Uh, we're we're not, we're not blind. We, we, we've got a medical school down the road that makes sound for your eyes. So you, you, you don't have to be blind, man. You, you don't have to lose your sight as a result of some eye sickness that you have. Man, we've got great things so that, so that we're not blind. And, and, and you're naked. And they're like, no, we've got this great fine black wool that, is, that it covers us up. And we're able to make our clothes out of it. And we're known for this. And here God is telling them they're poor, blind, and naked and this is what God says to these people that think they have everything. So, 
this is what you think. And he comes in, verse 18 says, So I advise you to buy gold for me. Gold that has been purified by fire. See, the only way that, that, and and this is not saying that God's gifts have a, a cost associated with them. It's just trying to emphasize the fact that they go and they buy everything that they need. So God's saying, if you're going to buy something, you need to come and buy from me because I have gold that is refined by fire. You see, you have gold that is impure and it will never be pure. He said, the only one that has pure gold comes from me. He says, you need to come to me and you need to get gold that is pure. I'm talking about real gold, real riches that are not tainted. No matter how many times you seem to want to refine your gold, it'll never be pure. He says, the gold that I have is pure. It is perfectly pure. He says, it's been refined by fire. He says, then you will be rich. Then you will be rich. Also, buy white garments from me so you will not be ashamed by your nakedness. He says, you have very rich, very fine, very beautiful black wool. Black resembling darkness, black resembling blindness, being full of darkness, and they think that it's the best, and God says, what I have for you is something way better than this very fine black wool. He says, I have white garments for you, garments that reflect light, not absorb it, garments that, 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 that show the goodness of who I am, the, the, the garments that show the purity of what I give. And it is pure, and it is rich, and it is so much better than that black stuff that you're wearing. He says, I have white garments for you, so you will not be, ashamed, not be shamed by your nakedness. See, I, I think that, that he says, shamed by your nakedness, because I, I really think there's a little bit of a breakthrough that God's trying to show them here. They're like, but I'm, I'm not ashamed, I'm not naked. He says, the more you see about me and the more you see what I have to offer you, the more naked you realize that you are. The the more you realize how little you really have. And this is what he says too. An ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. You see, they thought that they had the great medicine. They thought that they were able to put ointments on their eyes so that it would cure whatever eye ailments they may have. And this was revolutionary in their time for them to be able to have an eye ointment from a medical school in their town. And they were renowned for this. But the thing that they didn't understand is that they were actually, even though they they had all these things, and even though they had a great medical school, that they were actually blind. And what were they blind to? They were blind to themselves, and they were blind to who they really were. And God says, I have an ointment that will help you see. I have an ointment that you can put on your eyes that is not like the ointments you make. I have an ointment that, 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 that I make that will change how you see everything. And these people could see everything, everything around them, except who they were. It was only God who could reveal that to them. And it was God who says, I wish you would see who you really are. I wish that you would take a moment to really look and really see And this is where the good news comes in. This is what we call the gospel of Jesus Christ. I gave you the bad news first, talking about who they were and what they didn't see. And now I'm going to give you the good news. And it doesn't sound like good news, but it is good news. Listen. I correct and discipline everyone I love. 
I correct and discipline everyone I love. He says, I'm the kind of God that does something. I'm not the kind of God that just sits back and relaxes and say, oh, whatever. They can do their own thing. They can go their own way, and I'll be okay with it. God says, I correct and I discipline. So what he says is, I show, and then I carry out discipline to the point where it reinforces what I've already shown. And this is what the, the kind of God that he is, and this is what he says about himself. He says, I am the kind of person that loves you enough to correct you and discipline you so that you will see clearly. You see, with us, I, I think about, you know, little kids, and, and uh, you know, we're so afraid to discipline these days and all this kind of garbage, and I'm like, man, you help them to see when you discipline them. You help them to see that there are consequences for their actions. You help them to see that there may even be pain associated with their actions. You help them to see that by disciplining, disciplining them. You help them to see that. You help them to see that, that it's more than just going to have to stand in the corner. This is more than that. Life has, has consequences that are hurtful sometimes. And the discipline of God is like, man... He's trying to help us to see clearly, and yes, it is hurtful sometimes, but he's doing everything and everything he can so that we'll see clearly, because it all goes back to the I wish. I wish. I wish. I really believe that it's God's desire for us, even through the discipline, even through the fire, even through the blindness, that we would just come to him and say, God, you are the source of everything that I need. I was deceived and I did not see clearly, and you are the source of everything I need. You have the real ointment for my eyes. You have the real riches. You have the real clothes. God, I come to you. God says, I discipline, I correct, and I discipline everyone I love. So be diligent. And turn from your indifference. Turn for your, from your indifference. You know what I think? I've said this before in here and I'll say it again. You know what I think the opposite of love is? The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. The opposite of love is indifference. And I think that God is saying here, be diligent and go away from the indifference and move towards the love. Go on the opposite end of the spectrum and go away from the indifference and move towards love because that is what he has for us and that is what is so rich and so pure that he has in abundance for us if we will come to him and we will buy from him and stop buying from the world. There are some that take this particular next passage out of context and I've heard it preached this way many times. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and I will share a meal together as friends. We will share a meal together as friends. There are some preachers that preach this as if God were standing at the door of their heart and knocking and asking to come into their heart. I think that that's not actually what's going on here. I think the, the message is this, is that, that I am the one true God, that you have this invitation to come and buy from me and come and get the things that are real and true and pure. And he says, I wish that you would. I wish that you would see. And then he even goes so far as to, to knock and say, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to be close to you. I want to dine with you, which is in, in this particular day and time was one of the most intimate things you could do with somebody is to have a meal with somebody. And he says, I want to sit down with you in your wretched, in your poor, in your nasty condition that you're in. 
I want to sit down with you at your table. I want to sit down with you at your table. You see, God's giving you an invitation to come where he is. He opened, you open the door, and instead of you saying, come in, Jesus, you know what he says? He says, you come with me. We're going to go have a meal at my table. We're going to go, and we're going to be close together, and we're going to commune together. And we're not going to your table where you are inside your house. You're coming to my table. And we're going to have a feast that you cannot imagine. Those who are victorious sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. He says, he says, I've got a castle. You have a house, and I, I knock on the door, and I invite you, but you, I, I don't come in. You come with me. You follow me. You take up your cross, and you follow me, and you come where I am. And it may not look like, like you think it should look. It may not be exactly the way you have pictured in your mind, but I promise you it's good. I promise you it's good, and it is a kingdom, and you were invited to come and be a part of my kingdom. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. He says, you got a chance. That's what God always says. There's an opportunity for you. He says, if you got ears to hear. I think it goes a step for, further in what God has said so far. is if you got ears to hear and eyes to see. Again, I'm not just talking about seeing with your eyes. I'm talking about seeing with your heart. When you see with your heart, it's a whole different experience than seeing with your eyes. When you listen to God and you listen to the Holy Spirit, it's a whole lot different than when you just listen with your ears. Am I right? There's so many things that the Spirit of God has told me and shown me and opened my eyes to. It is so much better than what I hear with my own ears or see with my own eyes. He said, if you got ears to hear, you got to listen. You got to listen. It's desperate. You're, you're at a critical point. And there may be somebody here today that's at a critical point. Maybe you've been buying gold and what you consider to be fine garments. And maybe you've been buying your medicine from somewhere else. He says, come and buy from me. I have what you really need. You think that you have what you need, but you don't. I have what you really need. I see everything. I know everything. I've seen the place that you're in. I see the, I, I, I the place that you're in right now. I've seen it all. I know it all. And I'm telling you, I love you eno enough to say, I wish, I wish that you would come with me. I wish that as I, I stand at the door and knock, that you would come and be a part of my kingdom. I think that we have this beautiful opportunity. It's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's called the good news. It's the fact that God sees us in our wretched condition and he cares enough about us to give us sal for our eyes, to give us pure gold, to give us fine garments to wear, and to rescue us from our sins. He is the amen. Jesus Christ is the amen. He's the one. He's the one that God said, let it be so through his son.
Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this precious word. Lord, I pray that somebody here today has been encouraged. And maybe somebody today has had their eyes open for the first time ever. Maybe they're not a Christian. And maybe they've been part of this false church their whole lives. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you have opened their eyes, God. And you have rescued them from the place that they're in. I pray in Jesus' name, God, that they have seen. Maybe for the first time ever, they have seen. So Lord, be with us now in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Everyone stand.